everybody, and welcome to the Fuji Love Podcast. This is a show that is all about the Fujifilm X-Series, GFX cameras, and the photographers who love using them. I am Mark Sadowski, and this show is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, head on over to fujilove.com. My guest this week is Adam Gibbs. You may remember Adam from our previous interview with him and the F4 crew. Adam, you have had a very interesting year. Uh, at the start of the year, you had the uh, the F4 road trip, which was a tremendous hit. No complaints whatsoever. We don't need to review that footage anymore. Nobody needs to check on that. <laughs> <laughs> we, and, and you've had, I mean, your YouTube channel is doing amazingly well uh, your photography is just getting better and better and on top of that your comedic tropes are getting better and better <laughs> over on photo trippers uh, youtube channel uh adam it's great to have you back on the show how you doing man oh great thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah yeah actually uh photo tripper i haven't i haven't Gavin and I haven't done very much lately. He um he's got a girlfriend now, so you know that's mm -hmm. kind of kept him occupied. And uh, and but, you've been uh, in Yes, well, that was the choice I had. So uh, Gavin uh, asked if I wanted to go to uh, the Rockies um, and meet up with Brent, and I was planning on going, uh, but there was a possibility that uh, Iceland was opening up to Canada. So I was kind of keeping my eye on the news, and uh, I kept getting news from uh, my friend Thor, who who lives in Iceland. And he said, "Well, it's opened up. It's opened up." But it, but then I'd go to the the government site, and it wouldn't officially say that they were open to Canada. So I kept waiting and waiting, and sure enough, they they opened up. So then it was only about a week or so before or after they opened up that I I got my plane ticket and uh, and decided to fly over. And uh, yeah, it was a great trip. Uh, it was a, a little tricky getting there because not all the flights are running as as usual, you know. So from from Western Canada to Iceland is quite a distance. So, but yeah, it was and, a brilliant, brilliant trip. And f for those of you that are interested in seeing it, head on over to Adam's YouTube channel and uh, the most recent set of uh, photos and episodes are up there. Uh, do you have any more episodes that are coming out? Uh, I have I have one I have one more uh, coming out this weekend. Uh, last weekend, I started. I decided to get out my old four by five camera, which I haven't taken images with for I don't know how many years, probably fifteen years, and I uh, just decided to break up things up a little bit. But uh, this coming weekend, I'll I'll have my last video from Iceland. So. Yeah, it's, right. just, it's, you know, it's, uh, there's a bit of, there's a few tips in there, but most of it's just uh, a bit of, a bit of drone footage. And then I talk a bit about the locations and, you know. Your drone photography has been amazing. Oh, thanks. It is, uh, for, first of all, like your B-roll footage has been rock steady. And I know how windy it could get in Iceland. Uh, to be able to control your drone so easily, uh, like from our point of view, it's very effortless. You're just panning with no problems, and uh, I, I am just really impressed with your your pilotry. 
uh, as well as the photography that you're doing uh, through the through the drone. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's a, the those the new drones are just amazing. It's it's amazing how much wind you can actually fly them in. The only thing you have to be careful about is if you know if you're flying back and you have a headwind that you have enough uh, battery to get you back because sometimes uh, you'll be going you'll have to put it in sport mode. You'll be going on you'll be going full on and it will be barely moving so you just have to make sure that you know you have enough battery to get back but uh yeah it's amazing i mean the, the gimbals on those things is just just incredible i i'm really i'm always impressed every time i take video or or uh stills with a drone uh it's just incredible yeah i have a dji spark and it is just i am I am as reckless <laughs> as the <laughs> that it does not do well for me. Well, well I think I, don't do well for it. I, I think the problem with the spark is that that's the smallest one, right? Or one yeah. I think the, the problem with the spark is, is it's, it's just so light and, uh, you know, it doesn't have any weight behind it. It's kind of like setting up a, a lightweight tripod in heavy wind. Uh, it just doesn't do very well. So you need a bit of heft there to, you know, to make it more stable. And I, I would imagine it's the same with drones. In addition to that, uh, I think uh, one of the other problems I had was the the signal between the remote and the drone wasn't very good. Yeah. Uh, we were in a lot of tree, tree uh, the tree coverage, and uh, it wasn't able to... Anyway, that's a whole other show. That's a whole other comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing that footage is uh, not for the faint of heart, uh, but... <laughs> man let's talk about uh, what you've been doing this year uh, for for those of you who are watching adam's channel you'll know that he is using the gfx system and you've been using that for a little while now but in addition to the gfx you also picked up the xt4 yes um i i picked up the xt4 uh more for video yep um and it's it's superb. The only thing that I would say about it is the uh, autofocus is a little touchy sometimes, uh, but you know it's still uh, excellent. And uh, for video, I just I just find it superb. And actually, in Iceland, I used it quite a bit for photography as well because with the GFX, I didn't have um, long enough lenses for some of the the photos I took, so I just used the the XT4. And uh, I, I don't know. It's just an amazing camera. I, I really like it, and uh, I'll probably be using that quite a bit more as well. I just like the feel of it and the the knobs. It's very kind of old school, but not old school, if that makes sense. Gives uh, you that tactile feel. Yeah, well, it has all the knobs, like the shutter speed and the uh, you know you, you you can use the aperture ring as an aperture ring. Uh, so it's kind of like an old film camera in some ways. Unless you don't want it to be that way, and then you can just program it to however you want. But I kind of like it. Have it. I like to have it yeah. set up like the old, old film cameras. And the same with the GFX. I, I really enjoy using that camera. Um, like I've been a, a Nikon user for most of my career, and Nikon cameras uh, are great. Uh, but I just enjoy using the, the Fuji more. Uh, it's not any better, really. It's just I just like using it. You know. Um, it's a better well in for for you it's a better experience yeah i think so uh 
well, plus I got the GFX. It was given to me, so, <laughs> so, that, really, <laughs> so that helped quite a bit. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you had mentioned that. I, I don't know what it was. I think it was a uh, either another podcast or another uh, uh, video that you were uh, doing. I'm like, oh my god, somebody gave him a GFX. That, that, that's super. Ex- like I'm going through my head to like medium format, but like when you look at it. GFX is really no the, the price is really really reasonable. The the price is reasonable. I mean, I think GFX are I should say. Yeah, I mean, right now you can pick one up in Canada for I think about five or six thousand dollars, which is still a lot of money, but it's not as much as you know, like what uh, medium format digital cameras used to be. Um, right, it's quite reasonable, you know. Uh, of course, the lenses are a little bit more expensive, um, but again, not too bad. I mean, no. we're talking cheap is rel- it being a relative term. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, no, well, no camera. Yeah, I mean, no cameras systems really cheap anyway. Really, yeah. Um, I mean, most cameras are are up there, especially the professional level ones. The I don't know what the new Canon price is, but I'm sure it's four or five thousand dollars. I'm sure so. It's comparable, put it that way. Yeah, yeah. But with the, we'll we'll go back to the the new gear that you have. Uh, let's rewind back to your beginnings in photography. Uh, it, it was great talking to you about you know the 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 road trips, the 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 channel, and everything. But mm-hmm. what was your first? Uh, spark for photography where where did that uh love for photography come from uh actually it was uh, back in the uh late 80s i guess uh my my girlfriend at the time she had taken a, a photography workshop with a photographer named uh, john shaw which i'm sure some of your listeners will, will remember john i think he's still around taking photographs and uh she had bought a book off john and at that time, it was kind of the uh, kind of Bible for nature photography. Uh, I mean, his his photography was excellent. The information was excellent. It was just an all-round great book. And I just happened to pick, pick up this book one day when I was around her place. I, I, I was looking through this book, and I, I couldn't believe the, the clarity and the and just how beautiful these images were. And, and then I kind of thought, well, how come mine don't look like this? And, uh, you know, I started getting into it more and more and and kind of trying to copy what I'd seen in this book. And eventually, you know, my photography got a little bit better and then I just kind of evolved from there. What and, were you using at the time? Pardon? What were you using at the time? Uh, my very first decent camera was a, a Nikon FM2, which is a fully manual camera. Yeah. Uh, it was a great little camera. And I used that for uh, my climbing trips because I, I, I was heavily into rock climbing. Uh, I climbed for quite a few years and I just did that full time. And uh, it got to the point where I kind of had to figure out, well, what am I going to do for a living? Because I can't just bum around climbing all the time. So I decided to. Were you uh, in Canada? Uh, by, by this time, were you in Canada or were you still living in yeah, the UK? No, I, I've lived in Canada since uh, 1979. So I've been here since I was about fourteen. I moved over oh, right, with, right. with my my parents. So um, yeah, I've lived in Canada for well a long time. 
I just happen to kind of keep my accent a little bit, but I've, I'm pretty much a Canadian, you know. <laughs> but at this time you were living in uh i think it was uh ontario right yeah i lived in a, a suburb of toronto called burlington and um i used to climb on the niagara escarpment actually uh so niagara falls that that whole escarpment goes all the way up to tobermory so the escarpment comes up and down for about 300 kilometers so there's climbing areas all over the place yeah, uh, it's all limestone, and uh, yeah, I used to climb on the limestone cliffs in Ontario, and then I travel quite a bit. Uh, like I climbed in Yosemite and uh, Joshua Tree, and then in uh, New York and New Paltz, uh, the Shawanagunks, and New Hampshire, and pretty much all over North America, and a little bit in Europe as well. And, and all the time, you were just bringing out the the camera in between climbs and just take, I just take photographs of my climbing adventures. I mean, none of them were any good. You know, if I look at the slides now, I mean, they're pretty poor. Um, the fact I'm, that you still have the slide is pretty amazing. Well, it's, it's funny. I remember uh, the first time I went to Yosemite, I think it was in 84 and it was uh, a couple of years before Ansel Adams had uh, died. And I remember going to the Ansel Adams gallery and I saw an original print by Ansel there. It was, um, I think it was about 16 by 20 or 20 by 20 by 24. And uh, it was one of his more famous images. Uh, it was overlooking the whole of Yosemite Valley. And mm -hmm. I, remember, I remember looking at the price tag and at that time they wanted $6,000 for it. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but now I'm thinking, man, I wish I had had $6,000 because I, I don't know what that would be worth now, but way more than six thousand dollars you know it was uh, an original print by ansel and uh well i mean we're talking about six thousand dollars in 84 money that translates to what 2.8 million <laughs> yeah but the, the funny thing was I, I wasn't really uh much of a photographer but I, I remember looking at that image and it really it really was striking and i i thought wow that's just incredible and yeah. uh, of course, of course, I went out and tried to duplicate it, you know, <laughs> my, my little 35 millimeter uh, Nikon camera. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it's, it's funny how I remember that because I, I wasn't really into photography at all, but I do remember looking at that print. So, yeah. So what was the, so how did you get into it doing profession, uh, doing photography professionally? Like what was that? transition that allowed you from going to just part-time hobbyist to uh doing it for a living well i i was at a bit of a um i kind of got out of um climbing and uh i didn't really have a, a profession or anything so i decided to go back to school i went to college and at that time uh the the, the community college uh, was offering a two-year photography program and so I signed up for that. And uh, my intention was to get into studio photography and and uh, photograph product and, and stuff like that. And it was funny, during the program, we actually had a, um, a two-week stint where you go and spend two weeks with, you know, whoever your sponsor is. So I decided to spend two weeks with a, a studio in Vancouver, and I absolutely hated it. Hmm. And uh, that's where I kind of decided that I didn't want to do studio photography, but then I was kind of at a loss. Well, you know, what am I going to do with this photography gig? 
And um, at the time, I didn't have any money, but we lived close to a botanical gardens. Uh, uh, U- the University of British Columbia, they have a, a botanical gardens. We lived out that way. So I used to spend all my free time uh, photographing at the botanical gardens. And it was funny because I used to sneak in because I couldn't afford to pay the, the admission fee. So I jumped the fence nice. with my camera. You know? <laughs> and uh, so after the program, I had quite a body of work of uh, botanical plants and, and stuff like that. So I just started sending off those images to gardening magazines. And uh, I didn't have an awful lot of luck except for one local magazine in, in Vancouver. Uh, called Gardens West. They were a small company and they started using my photographs. And then as the year went on, um, they used more and more to the point where I was their primary photographer. And uh, I worked with them for um, 20 years. Uh, I worked in the garden industry, taking photographs of, uh, of private gardens right across Canada. They started off with the one magazine and then they had four magazines. And then I started doing work for American magazines, uh, like Fine Gardening and Fine Cooking, yeah, um, those types of magazines. So yeah, it was a good gig. And then of course, <clears throat> um, the bottom pretty much fell out of the magazine industry, and Gardens West kind of went like the dodo, like all the other magazines out there. They went bankrupt, and that's when I, I uh, was pretty much left in the lurch and had to decide, well, what am I going to do now? And uh, and at this time, what year is it? I mean, it, it it's probably around uh, the the dot com era. Uh, well, actually, Guns West they they went bankrupt. I think it was about five years ago now. And uh, I I made the huge mistake of putting all of my eggs in one basket. That was the only gig that I had. I just worked for them, and I had pretty much nothing else. The the nature photography and the landscape photography I've I've done for many many years, but it was more for um, it was just a, as a hobby. Yeah, I do, I do the gardening magazine to earn money, and then the landscape work. Uh, I sold the odd image to calendars and such, but it definitely wasn't making a living for me. So when I um, when Guns West went bankrupt, I did what every other photographer does and decided to start up workshops. And I was advertising on Facebook and so on, and I wasn't getting any clients. It was just awful. I, I lost my shirt the first year. Yeah. Uh, so that's when I decided to start up a YouTube channel. And uh, you know, I, I wish I'd done it years ago. Um, it's been, it's just been fantastic. Not only for um, clients for the workshops, but a lot of other things that I, I didn't even think about. You know, um, and actually with this this year with COVID, uh, of course, a lot of the work, well, all of the workshops had been canceled. So it's made, it's forced me to take up projects that were kind of on the back burner. And, uh, I'm starting to find that maybe I'd rather do that anyway than do the workshops, you know, because all photographers are doing workshops and, um, I, I mean, the market is just saturated with workshops. So, yeah. Um, it, I don't know. It's, uh, it's a weird business. It's, uh, it used to be all about, selling the rights to images uh but now i'm more of a youtuber that talks about photography <laughs> you know it's just it's just weird <laughs> it's all about education really at the end of the day you know and you're still offering that with your youtube channel 
Yeah, it's 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 a weird thing, you know, because you you have to kind of balance it out because you're giving away a lot of free information, which people really appreciate. But after a while, they they come to expect it. They they demand it from you, you know. And then as soon as you say, "Well, I'm charging this for something," they some people get out, outraged, you know. Well, how dare you charge <laughs> charge money? And I'm like, well, I've got to make a living somehow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think the majority of people, though, they're really good and they appreciate it. And I, I, I mean, YouTube is such a, a great um, way to promote yourself because you have an audience that are watching your video, and it's all about you. So <laughs> you, you know, it's you, you can't lose. You know. Uh, as long as you have right. half decent information to give them, and they don't switch off, then uh, yeah, I think it's a great it's a great avenue to go, for sure. And I mean, your your channel, you, I mean, your. <laughs> let me start that again. I may have to edit that. Um, your channel is just rich with information but it is surrounded by uh a, a journey uh it is so it's not it's not boring by any stretch of the imagination it, it's uh we're, we're along for the ride uh we're getting to see some great photography and learning how you're going about doing this and with with, with what you're using it, it's it's really awesome thanks yeah, I, I I really enjoy it. I mean, there's certain aspects that that I don't enjoy, um, but I you definitely have to film the stuff that you enjoy doing, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, like there are a lot of YouTube channels out there, and the, and the, there's becoming more and more each day. Uh, but I think as long as you're true to yourself and just film what you enjoy doing, then uh, what I really love about uh, YouTube and and filming doing the videos is when I go out, actually go out in the field and actually take images rather than sitting behind a desk talking about the images. Um, I just feel more comfortable doing that. And really all I'm doing is just thinking out loud and talking to a camera of, of what I'm thinking about when I'm taking those images. So when I show people the back of my camera and, and what I'm thinking about the composition, it's just me thinking out loud. So that comes easiest to me. But when it actually comes to you know, sitting behind a desk and, and talking about a specific subject, then I, I have a bit of a hard time with that. It's, I Sometimes I have a hard time getting a full sentence out, you know, uh, just because you have all these different thoughts in your head. And uh, it would probably almost be better if I just had a script in front of me, but I can't do that either because then it just sounds mm -hmm. too set up, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, uh, you know, doing the stuff with Gavin, I, I really enjoy that. Um it's quite a departure from my channel, but it's it's a lot of fun, you know, just goofing around and, and coming up with these crazy little skits. Uh, it's just fun. I mean, photography should definitely be fun. Uh, it doesn't have to be dry and highbrow all the time. The two of you together, I, I would say that, that you are the photography version of uh, Laurel and Hardy. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it is... Like he will be funny with other people, but it's not the same as the two of you being funny. If that makes any sense, yeah. The chemistry that you guys have in uh, reacting to 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 one another it's it's just hilarious. It's, it's like my favorite one is probably the uh, 
one of his most recent ones where you're in the the cheap camper van. Oh, right, right. You're doing your life coach lesson. Yeah, right. Well, that, yeah, that... That actually, that's the last video I did with Gavin. Uh, I haven't seen him since then, actually. Um, yeah, it was pretty. Actually, we actually he came up with that idea, and uh, we actually rehearsed that one. That was one of the first ones we were actually kind of gone over it a number of times. I mean, well, you saw you probably saw the bloopers at the end. I mean, it just yeah. went on. He couldn't keep a straight <laughs> face. It was just hilarious. And then, of course, uh, his friend uh, Whitey, the the car salesman. Uh, he just couldn't keep a straight face either with his helmet on, you know. So, uh, and he really is a car salesman. So, that's even funnier, you know. Oh, that's amazing. Just knowing that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, he has a, a dealership in in Nanaimo, um, and uh, they they actually, I, I believe, they grew up together in the same town in the UK. But right on. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, he said, well, he got this old camper down at the dealership and uh, I want to do a skit there. And uh, I said, yeah, all right. Yeah, okay, we'll do that. <laughs> you brought a little bit of comedy into your channel. Uh, the, your, your most recent one where you're talking about uh, the, the old film gear. Uh, all right. started it with a little bit of, little bit of a skit and uh, your partner Karen has uh, yeah. played a more prominent role. In this, <laughs> <laughs> it was just a last-minute idea. Um, yeah, I mean, touch. pardon? It's a great touch. Yeah, I'd like to. I guess I'd like to do more of it. I I just don't want it to uh, take precedence over the photography, you know. But um, I do enjoy it. I, I sometimes you come up with a, an idea and you think, oh, that'd be kind of funny. And um, like, actually, one of my very first videos I did was I was. It was a winter one, and uh, I, I did a bit of comedy in that. My very first video, I think it was like three years ago, um, where I decide to go outside, and I got my flip-flops on and my shorts and my T-shirt, and I go to the front door, and, of course, there's like a foot of snow outside, so I have to redo the whole thing and and uh, put my winter gear on. But uh, it wasn't as well executed, but I thought it was funny at the time. <laughs> You know, amazingly, that, that is literally how our weather has been here in uh, uh, New England. Oh, yeah. Uh, it w- We went from summer to fall, like, just in a day. Oh, really? Uh, our weather ha- – have you ever seen the Monty Python Search for the Holy Grail? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was that one little uh, cartoon scene where it's going through the seasons and, and it's just happening – one right after the other, right after the oh, other. Oh, that's right. And then the snow all falls on him and kills him, I think. It- <laughs> yeah. That's literally what we're going through right now. It just all like yesterday was just humid and hot. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, okay, it's it, it's fall now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Put away the shorts. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I mean, that, that, that I mean, Yay, apocalypse. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Your Fuji gear, um, I wanted to kind of touch on that. And how has using the Fuji gear compared to the Nikon gear, um, what has that been like? What what has that transition been like? And what have you seen in your photography that has either 
you know, improve things to the point where you're, you're currently still using it and, and buying more into the system. Like I, w- I wanted to hear your thoughts on that transition from Nikon to, uh, to the Fuji system. Um, well, for, at first I was a little uh, apprehensive actually, because um, I, the one thing that I really love about the Nikon system, especially the DSLRs is the, the viewfinder, believe it or not. Um, I've never been a huge fan of the mirrorless cameras because of the EV, um, you know, the viewfinder. Yeah. Um, and and as far as, you know, doing compositions on the back of the camera, I, I rarely do because part of the problem is I wear, I need reading glasses. So yep. it's just a pain in the butt because every time I'd want to use the, the rear LCD panel, I'd have to keep putting uh, glasses on. So I just use the viewfinder and the viewfinder in the Nikon, I find to be much nicer to look through than the, any of the mirrorless cameras. doesn't matter what brand it is. Yeah. So, so, but you know, I'm used to it now. I mean, it's, it's taken a little bit of getting used to. Um, I still prefer the, the DSLR looking through the DSLRs, but the problem with the Nikon is that, uh, I mean the D850, which is the system I have, I mean, it's an amazing camera. Um, I don't think it matters what system you buy these days. They're all fantastic cameras, Sony's, Nikon's, uh, Fuji's. I think the big selling point for people should be just usability and, and how much they enjoy using them. Like the Sony's, I just find just a little bit fiddly and, and the menus just, uh, just uh, I can't make sense of them, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but as far as image quality goes and all that stuff, they're fantastic. Uh, the Nikon's are a bit more old school especially the DSLRs, uh, but it's a brick, you know, uh, the, the D850 is not a lightweight camera. And uh, like I said earlier, the the Fuji, I mean, first of all, I got the Fuji given to me. So, you know, I, I'm not going to say no to that. So I started using it because it's a medium format. And uh, the I just didn't started enjoying using it way more, and lately I've just been using the the GFX uh, just because I I just I like the feel of it, and I, I really like the uh, the location of the knobs and the menu, and uh, I just really enjoy everything about it. Um, that's pretty much the main reason. As far as image quality goes, I really can't see a huge difference other than. The Fuji might have a bit more dynamic range because, you know, obviously the sensor is twice as big. So there's got to be yeah. some differences there. Uh, but that's pretty much it. Um, I am uh, actually Fuji. I got in touch with them this past week, Fuji Canada, and I'm trying to get them to send me out uh, a GFX 100 to try out. I'd just be curious to see what that's like because that's a totally different uh beast you know uh, the whole everything's different about that camera so it'd be interesting to see the differences it is a beast i'd love to see what kind of photos you take and i'd be curious to see if you do a video with that too using the video features yeah i mean i if if i had the money i would and i like to i would consider buying one um i figure you know if you're going to go medium format just go all, all out i mean why why muck about just <laughs> <laughs> just spend the money and, and go for the, the gusto, you know I mean? Cause medium format cameras, uh, like the, the, um, the phase one, I mean, they were, they were, we're talking 30, $40,000, you know, 
And so, yeah. so the Fuji GFX here in Canada, the, the 100 is, I think it's about $13,000, which is a, a heck of a lot of money, but it's a darn lot cheaper than $40,000, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. it, it, it's, as far as medium format goes, it is like bargain basement prices. Yeah, but you know, but, but, big old asterisk next to that comment. Well, and the other thing is, you know, justifying spending that kind of money. I mean, if you're going to be making very large prints, then yeah, go for it. But really, at the end of the day, I mean, I make the odd large print, but not enough to justify spending that kind of money um, on a on a medium format camera. You know, um, yeah. But it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, they are. They said they would send one out to me, so hopefully, and uh, we can try it out. You know, yeah, that would be awesome. I, I would love to see what you could do with that. Uh, I, I mean, seeing what you're doing with the GFX 50R. I mean, yeah. With the only thing uh, with the GFX, uh, because it's medium format, of course, you have to be a bit more careful with depth of field because because it's a larger format. Yeah. You, you don't have quite the same depth. Um, but you know you can still uh if it's really critical that you get everything sharp in one you know then you can always uh, just focus stack you know if you have to um so it's not a huge deal breaker um i remember years ago i used to use a a pentax 6x7 mm-hmm. uh, and uh that that was difficult i found that really difficult to use to to get the depth that i wanted it was it was always a compromise uh because it's you know it's even larger than 645 format which the fuji isn't it's actually smaller than that so you'd have 645 medium format then 6x7 and then 4x5 and of course with 4x5 you could you know you could use your front and rear standard and just and tilt them so you could adjust the you know your depth of field um, well, sorry, not the depth of field. You can adjust your uh, plane of focus, uh, but on the six by seven, it was just a fixed lens, so you couldn't. So depth of field was a, a bit of a problem. So with the with the Fuji, uh, it's it can be a little bit of a problem sometimes, but you know, it's not it's not that noticeable really, to be honest with you. I mean, most of the stuff I, I post on my videos, you're not going to even see if the if the depth of field is off a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And with your channel, you've uh you've traveled to uh to to Iceland, you've been uh back in Scotland with with, with Gavin in a few of the videos and also your uh trip to China. Yes. Uh, is there a place that you would love to visit that you haven't visited yet? Oh. There is one area that I've there's a there's a photographer named um, Alex Nail. He's a yep. British photographer. He's been posting videos from an area called Drakensberg, which is in South Africa, mm-hmm. and uh, it looks amazing. And I wouldn't mind going there. Uh, it just looks otherworldly. Massive cliffs uh, in the mountains and lots of fog and. It just looks like a neat location, and I know he's been there several times, um, and each time he seems to come away with some really great images. So, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind checking that place out. I've never been to South Africa, so it, some areas look quite beautiful. So, that, yeah. that would be one area. Uh, Greenland was was top of my list, and, and we went last year, 
and it was absolutely amazing. I, I, I'd go back there in a heartbeat. I mean, actually, we were supposed to be there this year, but um, of course, we can't. So, um, right. Hopefully, next year, we'll be going back there. Uh, it's just, no. it's just amazing. It's, uh, it's very much wilderness there for sure. Yeah, amazing, man. A name like Nail—that's uh that's a hell of a stage name. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Alex. Alex, yeah, Alex Nail, Nail, Nally. Nail, Nail. <laughs> Sorry, Alex. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't pronounce his name. <laughs> if your last name isn't Nail, it should be. <laughs> Is there, in addition to the nature uh the the i'm sorry not nature um the the landscape photography is there any other kind of photography that you've uh always wanted to give it a try uh, you know with covid limiting uh a lot of the travel is there something else that's always been on your mind to photograph any different style um not not really no um no i i really enjoy just i, I just enjoy wandering around the woods and just photographing whatever strikes my fancy you know i don't usually plan any of my trips uh i just go out there and and see what's available and i mean even with um with iceland this recent trip uh, and actually alice my friend alistair ben and i talked about it a little bit uh we tend to kind of have the same mindset uh we we more or less just go out without any kind of um planned uh, list of things we want to photograph because you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, I, I just find it so much easier to just go out and uh, without any expectations. And then if you do find something and you do get a great photograph, then, you know, it's a plus for you with, uh, but if you don't get anything, then it's, there's no big disappointment. Now, obviously if you're going to be traveling to, a location that's far away and you're spending all kinds of money then yeah you you might want to kind of look into what there is to photograph but most of my local um trips uh i don't i don't usually plan anything or have expectations so i um i wouldn't mind doing a bit more garden photography i haven't done it for a couple of years now so i, I wouldn't mind doing some some more of that but of course I, I don't have the same access that i did to all of the gardens that i had before so there'd have to be public gardens and um uh, public gardens aren't quite the same as private gardens so but yeah no, not really uh i've done a little bit of wildlife um I photograph wildlife when I have the opportunity to, like if there's a, a bear sitting in front of me and I can get my camera out, then I'll definitely take photographs of it. But, yeah. but I don't really pursue it as a, um, like I'm not going to go out and, and grab myself a 600 millimeter uh, lens <laughs> to photograph birds or anything like that. Right. On. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, actually my, my partner, Karen and I, we've been on a few trips where we've gone to photograph bears uh, we went on one several years ago up to Katmai, and we spent um, a week up in uh, in Katmai National Park photographing bears. And then locally here, you can catch a boat from Vancouver Island to the mainland from Campbell River. And there's a few inlets up there that have grizzlies, so you can go and photograph the grizzlies. But they tend to be uh, very expensive trips. Um, usually, you, yeah. you know, three or four hundred dollars a day, which is pretty pricey, you know. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, um, I just enjoy just photographing the things that I've been photographing, you know, mostly forests and, uh, and waterfalls. <laughs> and with, uh, so one of the things I also wanted to, to kind of get your thoughts on, um, uh, when you're with the, the other photographers, uh, your colleagues will be very, they, they will emphasize composition, composition. You are the only one that really kind of changes that and searches for light instead or focusing on light. Right. Um, well, in on the island here, we don't often get fantastic light. We really don't. Um, even on the West Coast, like we call it the West Coast, but it isn't really the West Coast. It's actually faces more like Southwest. So this, yeah. this time of year, a sunset is is way north of what you're looking at. Um, so say I go to the ocean to photograph a sunset, uh, you won't get the sun in the image because it's it's way over to the to, the, to your right in the trees. Um, and we don't often get good light because um, the bad weather starts moving in. There's always clouds out in the west. Um, and on the island here, most of the landscapes that I go to are either trees or in the in the winter waterfalls. So when it comes to woodland photography, I tend to rather than look for specific um, subjects, I'll usually try to look for nuances in light to kind of direct me in what my composition might be. Because when you think about it, when you're looking at something that's that's lit up, what is really attracting you to a certain subject might be that it's brighter than its surroundings. So I'll base my compositions <clears throat> on that light or what's happening with the light rather than the actual subject itself. Because even the, the forests around here, they're all conifers. Uh, they're pretty dull-looking forests, especially the second-growth forests. I mean, they're, they're not very attractive at all. Um, and there's no there's no trees like you get in the UK uh, that have tons of character, you know, like these gnarly oaks or um, anything like that. They're just straight-up conifers. Uh, they're, not, they're really not that interesting. <laughs> so that's kind of my approach. Um, it doesn't always work. Um, and then, you know, if the light is overcast or really flat, then say I'm in a woodland, I'll look for an area where there might be some, uh, say an opening to the right or left or whatever to that woodland. And of course, then you'll be getting a little bit more ambient light coming into the woodland. So even though when you first look at a, a subject, you'll think, well, there isn't any light in here. It's no good. Well, there, there actually is. You just have to look carefully. Once you found that that nuance in light, then of course, once you get it into Photoshop, you can, uh, you know, just enhance it slightly or, or a lot if you want to, to direct people's eye to certain areas in the photograph. I mean, it's it's no different than traditional darkroom work. I mean, you dodge and burn an, an image to bring yeah. bring your your viewer to certain areas, and then the darker areas they tend to to not look at you know and it's the same same kind of principle you know so that's kind of what i get at i mean i love early morning light and 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 dramatic evening light but we just don't get it that often here so it's not like going to say uh 
you know, the Alabama Hills in, in California, where you get those lenticular clouds with that just amazing bright red clouds and dramatic skies. We, we don't get that. So yeah, you kind of have to look for more subtle things, you know? Yeah. And your work shows, I mean, it, it, it's thanks. It, it, photography is speaks for itself. Well, I tend, I tend also to go for more intimate views than the, the, the grand landscapes as well. Um, I've always been attracted to that. It just, the grand landscapes, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love grand landscapes, uh, but the the problem I find with them is that uh, as photography gets more and more popular, those grand landscapes become more and more popular and everybody has the same composition, except perhaps with slightly different light, but it's, it's more or less a copy of someone else. So with the more intimate views, I just find it's more, it's a bit more personable and it's a bit more about me rather than the scene, you know? Um, yeah. Not, not always, but um, that's kind of what I'm looking for. I'm just, I just like those intimate views and I, re- and I like really busy scenes as well. I, I love the challenge of trying to find a composition out of just ridiculously busy scenes because you're hardly ever successful, but when you are, then it, it's really satisfying, you know? So it's getting that difficult trick shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just you know finding a, a place for all those uh, elements in the frame and and how they fit together. It's kind of like trying to work out a puzzle. I, I kind of like that. So yeah, but it's, and it's amazing. It's especially uh, some of the uh, I, in your portfolio. You have uh, very tall trees. The 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 woodland area, but the, uh, what, what is it? The moss that grows on them. Right. Uh, right. Very, very busy, very, uh, focus on one color, but you make everything that just come to life. Everything falls into order and it is just amazing to look at. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Some, sometimes it works. I mean, when it comes to social media, um, if you're looking for accolades and popularity, then those images are not going to do very well. But if you're doing it for your own personal uh, gratification and satisfaction, then those are definitely the images that uh, I I aspire to. You know, um, absolutely. There's a, a guy actually. Um, I don't know if you follow him, um, Edward Bertinsky, on uh, Instagram. He's a like an environmental port uh, photography he photographs these just massive grand scale uh, like mines and factories and just huge uh, kind of um, things that man does to the earth anyway his recent work he's photographing these really uh, complicated uh, just mosaics of these trees and branches and twigs and uh when you look at them individually, you think, oh man, I don't know, that's really busy. But when you look at them as a collective uh, work of art, like all of them together, they look really cool. And of course he blows these things up just massive. Yeah. And he, and he's photograph- f- photographing them with uh, a large format cameras. So of course the details are just amazing. Uh, Edward uh, Batinsky, he's a Canadian oh, photographer. Oh, oh. I, I- you, it sounds like a Polish last name. I ought to know this. <laughs> uh, it might be, yeah, yeah. But yeah, look him up. Um, uh, he, uh, I like his, I like his stuff. He, he's had a couple of documentaries out. Um, one where he was photographing uh, the huge factories in China, 
And I remember one of the documentaries starts off, it's just panning across this inside of a factory and it just keeps going and going and going and going. And it's just people making stuff, you know, just whatever. It's just stuff, you know, that we buy, plastic stuff, whatever, just stuff. And, um, And then he took a bunch of images of all of the workers outside in front of these factories and they're all wearing different colored um work clothes it's just amazing um yeah i mean some of it is quite uh, strong in its uh message you know about how wasteful we are but yeah they're pretty powerful images anyway yeah i'll have to check it out yeah that, that'll be for maybe he shoots fuji <laughs> <laughs> he might do <laughs> um, well adam i mean i it's, it was great talking to you again. Uh, I'd love to keep just talking shop uh, different uh, places that you visited. Uh, I'm sure we could go on and on. But um, why don't you tell the world where they can find you on the web? Oh, uh, com. I have two websites. There's adamgibbs.com, which is my old website, which I haven't updated in at least three or four years. But I, I keep it because it has a lot of my older work on it. And then there's adamgibbsphoto.com, which is uh, my more recent stuff. But it's a constant battle because I'm not very good at keeping my websites updated. But anyway, that's where you can find me. And then, of course, on YouTube as well, uh, Adam Gibbs Photography. And Instagram, Adam Gibbs Photo. So, And everybody check out his work. Check out his YouTube channel. Uh, it is amazing photography and very entertaining, too. Uh, Adam, it's been awesome chatting with you and uh, we'll have to have you back on the show uh, once you get a chance to uh, use that GFX 100. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks ever so much. I appreciate it. No problem, man. Good talking to you. All right. Thanks.